Welcome back to Emmaism, a philosophy podcast for students of philosophy, because that really is what we all are, seekers of knowledge. Imagine this, a person is roaming around in a place, I'll call this person a wanderer for now. And by the way, the place is absent of order, language, and collective expectation. How strange. But the wanderer sees another person and is so surprised that he makes a noise. A noise of surprise. And now that noise isn't coherent because there's no exact standardized language. The other person's unable to understand and responds with another random noise. Around these two individuals are people fighting, stealing from one another, and making a mess of surrounding nature and buildings. It's chaotic, to be quite frank. The wanderer is left distressed, feeling inhibited in expression. It's a world that seems utterly unhinged. It's an inhibitive community that's absent of a social order. Quite unfathomable to our ears today. Or is it? But this visualization is just setting the scene for the podcast today. Earlier today, I was clicking link after link to find something interesting and philosophical in like a question format to answer in this podcast. I came across one question that really made me laugh. It was the question, if you could teach everyone in the world one concept, what concept would have the biggest impact on humanity? So I'm going to answer that question. My short answer is that I think society could really benefit from learning about social contract theory. My long answer, or I guess my elaboration on that little excerpt I started this whole thing out with, will be the rest of the podcast. So let's just start off with the history and basic idea of what social contract theory really is. So the theory is almost as old as philosophy itself. It originated during the Enlightenment, like a lot of overall knowledge did too. Social contract theory concerns the legitimacy of the state over the individual, It's essentially the leading doctrine of political legitimacy, which has a give-and-take sort of feel in terms of freedoms. It holds that individuals have consented, either explicitly or not explicitly, to surrender some of their freedoms and submit to authority in exchange for protection of their remaining rights or maintenance of the social order. Now, let that sink in for a second. That last part about the social contract being in place to maintain social order is what intrigues me in terms of our key discussion question and why I want everyone to learn about this thing. Also, it's beneficial to note that the starting point of the social contract is made through a careful examination of the human condition absent of any political order. In this blank slate sort of condition, individuals' actions are only bound by their personal will and conscience. So all in all, social contract theory is essentially theorists trying to demonstrate why rational individuals would voluntarily give up some of their natural freedom to obtain the benefits of political order. One could say that a community having a supposed social order is a cool idea. Yeah, the social order is the concept that refers to the way the various components of society work together to maintain its cultural features. More explicitly, it reinforces a society's structure, beliefs, and values. Basically, the social order is how we maintain a collective identity. Now, nations need a collective identity in order to establish a clear path and expectation toward the future of their civilization. Without the social order, then no one would be in agreement 
with a nation's collective goal or progression trajectory. The social contract comes into this because it establishes a social order, and it acts to keep society in check with that order too. Now, it's a problem if a country or community doesn't have some unifying aspect to draw people together. Then, social contract theory has no standing in anyone's existence complex. There's a no association with a collective, and that's a problem. Symptoms of the lack of adherence to a social order, or the lack of understanding with a social contract, or even a lack of association with a community could be and are not limited to violence, political upheaval, or toxicity. These three symptoms, as we'll call them, kind of ring a bell for me and should ring a bell for you too. The United States political landscape is toxic, polarized, and violent, which are symptoms as I just mentioned before. There's obvious political problem that we face in this country that has some serious philosophical roots. Americans are not well-versed in social contract theory because if they were, then we wouldn't really be facing this fault in our social order. To live in a society is a position that holds a consent requirement. If people in the community do not consent to surrender some of their freedoms in order to live in a fashion that enables other more expansive freedoms to be exercised, then they can't live in a society. It's just unacceptable. And again, this consent is either made consciously or individuals have had to recognize the subconscious consent they're giving. That is a must. The thing is, though, that our society has progressed to a point where freedoms that are enabled by our social contract are just not enough for some people. They're looking for ways to tighten the contract and inhibit individual freedoms. These people want to revise the way individuals generally converse, they they support the dismantling of public safety, and they are even attempting to alter the nature of identity. These wants or wishes correspond almost exactly to what we consent to when we choose to live in a developed society. Individuals must have a language established by an authoritative entity in order to converse with each other in a way that can be understood and then acted upon. The individuals in our society must also be held accountable and must be able to be held accountable within the bounds of the law. And finally, each individual in our society should have their unique identity celebrated, accepted, and most importantly determined so that others can truly understand who's who in a sense. That accountability is important. The things I just listed are in the social contract. We have to agree to have a clear language, a mode of public safety, and a means of identifying each other clearly so that we can live in a collective efficiently. That's the whole point of the social contract. The social contract sets in a place normalcy and predictability. The problem is that United States political sides have different ideas of what the freedoms are and what normalcy is. Both sides agree that there needs to be freedoms that are given up to live in a society, but they don't understand which ones and they can't agree upon that. The social contract theory in the U.S. reveals an overlap between what is expected of citizens through the social contract and what the ingrained beliefs in our fractured value system are. 
Our value system has been politicized, and that's why it's fractured. There's no real identifiable and shared collective value aside from the hope for a societal progression toward a better condition. And even that's disputed in manners of how to get there. Each side is determining their own definition of freedom and cherry-picking what freedoms to give up and what to what degree. In an attempt to be apolitical, I won't name any parties, but I'm just going to be describing the social contract paradox that I'm seeing with one of them. And honestly, you can point out these qualities in both parties too. A certain American political party is acting paradoxically in relation with the social contract. They're attempting to expand collective freedoms while ignoring that individual freedoms are being inhibited. Sure, collectively, there might be an illusion that people are more free, but this freedom is just a result of prohibitions and restrictions. This creates a mirage of freedom. Now, the opposing party is trying to further wind down the freedoms that are being stripped from the individuals so that more freedoms are actually provided. In this case, it's not an illusion that people are becoming um, not oppressed. Individuals are recognized as just as valuable as the collective. They recognize the relationship between individuals and collectives and also the relationship between natural rights and legal rights in terms of social contract theory. People get used to authority and choose to submit themselves without further resistance. The party of prohibition, though, is a paradox case. The people who are trying to expand freedoms are really further inhibiting them. Freedoms are positive. They're marked by phrases like yes, or do this, or allow. Oppression and prohibition are signified through no, do not, and obviously prohibited. This sort of prohibition, like action, or prohibitive action, is demonstrated time after time, again by the party in hopes of increased freedom. They make certain standards that are marked by no's and do nots that they think will open up the capacity for another group to be more free. And that's not how it works. That just angers people when you allow other people to do some things and prohibit others to do those same things. When things are limited further than what is natural and initially consensual, then it is not free nor more expansive. It's just problematic. Social contract theory holds that if we consensually sacrifice some freedom in order to gain more allowances, permissions, and just really more expansive freedoms. So this general and relevant political point brings me to ask, what would teaching social contract theory help? Or would it even help at all? Why would it help and how would it help? Well, teaching social contract theory would enable the masses to understand what living in a society actually means. Living in a society means a balance between sacrifice and freedom. It's the give and take of life that feeds into our communal tendencies, yet enables us to thrive, transforming that tendency into a strength. If we all come to a communal understanding and mutual understanding that we need to adhere to a social contract in order to progress together, then and only then can we collaborate and persevere as a community. That being said, Rousseau famously stated in his book, The Social Contract, that man was born free, yet everywhere he's enchained. So maybe being coming aware of social contract theory wouldn't change a thing about the nature of politics or the sentiment of 
political landscape of the country today. Maybe whatever type of chains are holding us back from certain freedoms aren't really what's relevant, and life will just play out accordingly no matter what. Maybe we're just destined as a society to always be at odds with the way we think about social order and how it would be maintained best. Nevertheless, I think that teaching others about the social contract and the theory would give them context to why communities are ordered in particular ways and why we need political legitimacy in order to have a functioning society. Sometimes we do need to surrender some freedoms for the greater good so that we can be awarded the capacity and subsequent means to go about life freely. I mean, without the social contract, we wouldn't have developed the means of communication, preservation, transportation, and community order after all. Humans may have the capacity to be free and rational, but humans also need an avenue to exercise that freedom in a way that can improve or change their condition. That avenue to exercise freedom is established by the social contract. I want to end this podcast by recognizing the relevance of the social contract, even in just what happened yesterday at the Capitol. A social contract and more pointedly laws are not natural. They're human creations. We made them because we need them. Without laws or order, there would just be anarchy. Now we know this isn't new. Anarchy is not comfortable or good. It stresses us out. It's not natural. And the social contract is the antithesis to anarchy. So let's just work together to adhere to the social contract. How about that? Let's just work together, adhere to the social contract so that anarchy doesn't happen. And at that, let's not just adhere to the politically legitimate one. Let's enhance the social contract of mutual respect, peace, progression, and compassion. Let's just do that. Be compassionate and mutual. If we abandon the social contract of mutuality and abandon the value of fostering a community, then we will just be doomed. Let's do better as a community and put community first. I hope more people, especially Americans, learn about the social contract so that they can further understand what living in a society means and how respect plays into that. Social contract theory creates an accountability for an individual's choice to live in a developed society. Again, it's a choice, not a forced habit. And that's what I think everyone in the world would benefit from learning about, social contract theory. And that's all I have for today's Emmaism podcast. I hope you all enjoyed and we'll be back next time for a new exploration. Until next time, keep searching for the truth.